welcome to LCC. Uh, my name is Brett Machat. I am the worship and young adult pastor. Uh, and if you can't tell, uh, I have had two cups of coffee this morning, and I am so excited to be here with you guys. Uh, usually I don't drink coffee because I'm, I'm singing and it affects my voice. But this morning, I'm actually not singing, which is pretty crazy. Uh, but I'm excited because I get to worship alongside of you guys. Uh, but if this is your first time at LCC, we just want to say good morning and welcome. We're so excited to have you here. No, this is not our building. This is actually RELC's building. But if you hadn't heard, there was a little bit of a fire over at our property on 4400. And so until the rebuild is done over there, or at least one section, we are meeting here. And we're super thankful for RELC and their willingness to let us use their main auditorium. They're actually meeting in their chapel over there. So we can definitely praise God for that. Uh, but we've got an exciting morning for you all today. Uh, this morning we are going to be singing and praising the great name of God together, which is something to be excited about. Amen? Amen, right? We're going to be extending our worship, uh, if you can't tell by, by taking communion together and remembering Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. Um, also, we're going to be continuing our series of When Jesus Asks. I'm sorry, I'm taking the mic away from my mouth, which is something I get on people all the time about doing, and now I'm doing it, which is why I'm looking at Curtis because he's smiling at me because I'm calling myself out. Sorry. Uh, we're going to be continuing our series on when Jesus asks, asking another question. Uh, and then also, one last thing we have after the service is that we are having an intro to groups, which if you're a part of a cell group around here, that's awesome. And if you're not part of a cell group, we would love to invite you to join our small groups. Uh, I just started a small group with the Foxes uh, back in July. Uh, and a couple of people up here are part of it, and it's been so good. Uh, there is something amazing about having a small group family that loves and cares about you. Uh, and so we want to invite you to join our intro to groups meeting. It's really, really informative, especially if you are not a part of a small group. Uh, but until then, uh, I'm going to invite you all to stand and look for someone around you because I want to invite you to say good morning or buenos dias to them and ask them this question. What is one thing you are thankful for? All right? Say good morning and ask them what is one thing you are thankful for? And to walk us through this next part of worship uh, together. As we enter this season of thankfulness, we want to shift our attention to Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. Because Jesus came down from heaven, lived a perfect life as a man, died on the cross, and rose three days later. And because of that, we have the gift of eternal life through our faith in him. So this morning, we want to remember Jesus and his love for us by taking communion together, by following in Jesus' example, and taking our own bread and cups, we're able to practically and physically remember Christ here in this moment. I think it can be very easy to forget the true reason of communion. Um, for me, at least, growing up, communion was just another act as a Christian, right? Another thing to check a box at church. Um, but, but truly, it is so much more than that. As I said before, it's remembrance and thankfulness for what our Lord Jesus did for us on that night. So looking into the Bible specifically, in Matthew chapter 26, it says, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke 
He broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood for the covenant, blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So even though he knew he was going to be betrayed that night, even though he knew he was going to endure the most excruciating and painful death imaginable, Jesus still gave thanks to God in front of his disciples, setting an example for them and for us on what it means to truly give thanks to God and find contentment in every season of life. In just a second, we're going to gather the elements uh, for communion that are down here in front of us. We have two stations here. And since communion is something Jesus set aside specifically for his followers, we will leave it up to you to decide if you or your kids, if you have any with you, should participate in taking the bread and juice with us this morning. So as we gather these elements, let's take this opportunity to quietly and mindfully reflect on Jesus' love for us by staying silent and not distracting those around us. Once you have the elements, go back to your seats, and we encourage you to reflect and pray in silence. Don't eat or drink the bread or cup on your own. We'll do that together once everyone is seated. So, all right, let's gather the elements. On the night he was murdered, Jesus broke bread with his disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. Let's eat the bread in remembrance of him. The verse continues on and says, And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink the juice together. Father God, we pray that through every season of life, we give thanks to you. For your son set the example for us, no matter what is in our life, Lord, no matter what is going on, that we give thanks to you and we remember the true sacrifice that you gave us. So, Father, be with us. Keep our hearts centered on you as we enter into this season of thankfulness. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping the Lamb of God together. With that, I don't think I can say any prayer that has better words than that song. that he gave for his son to come down, and just that visual of him being nailed to the cross and lifted up. It's powerful. And I pray that we don't forget it. We'll bring a line to the Lord. Amen.
Amen. Have a seat. So glad you're with us. My name is Tom. I'm the teaching pastor here at Life Community Church, if you're new with us. Um, and um, we do something we call, it's just distributed teaching. Like, we believe that, that many people in our body, um, God has gifted to teach. And so, um, if, you, if you've been here in the last few weeks and I wasn't here, um, I was here. Um, but, but we just, we share, um, we share this, uh, this responsibility for the body. So, I, I want to start um, <clears throat> by saying something that may seem obvious from someone who's wearing glasses. Um, but I, um, I have vision problems, okay? Um, I have vision problems, and actually, I didn't know I had vision problems until I was about 30 years old, okay? Um, I thought I was just, like, getting older, and, um, and, and my eyes were weakening, and so I went to an eye doctor. Let's be honest. None of us know the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist. We don't, unless you're one of them. Okay, and the rest of us are just like, okay, whatever, doctor so-and-so, okay? Just what's wrong with my eyes? Um, so, so I went to see one of those two, um, and, um, and, and he informed me that no, actually, my eyes weren't getting worse, um, that I had for all of my life, I had probably been farsighted, and it went undiagnosed, and I immediately called my parents and said, thanks a lot, you know, um, for this, this great injustice that you've done. No, I didn't. It was like, but, but what happened was I just started to notice, like, like I was, uh, you know, my life changed. I was in grad school and I was, I was, you know, reading more than I really ever had before. I was spending a lot of time on screens, getting a lot of headaches. And he said, yeah, you know, you, you, you've, got, you've had this vision problem. You've probably lived with it and coped with it all your life, okay? Um, but something happened in that setting that uh, if, you've, if you've been there and done that, um, that, that really like startled me. And it was when they put like that big contraption in front of your face and they move the, you know, the lenses around, right? Like boop, boop, boop. Which one's better, one or two? Okay, which one's better, one or two? Two, I think, you know, which one's better, one or two? And on and on it goes. And I think, this is my, my operating theory is, they know like within like seven seconds what's wrong with your eyes, but this is all just a fun game for them to play to figure out what's actually happening, okay? But, but either way, um, they, they do this thing so you can compare and you can contrast, right? Like these different lenses to see which, which one of these do you see better through? Which lens, right? And I think that the scripture is full of lenses for us to try, okay? Which one of these is better, one or two? And today we're going to ask in this series on uh, the questions that Jesus asked, we're going to ask a, a pretty powerful question about lenses, about, about which, which one of these ways of seeing, the rea seeing reality, seeing the truth, which one of these is actually better? And it's, it's given to us in, in a string of encounters with Jesus and a particular question he asks. The last few weeks, we've been, we've been, we're almost, near, we're nearing the end of this. We're going to be in like in the, the last days of Jesus' life um, um, before his, his crucifixion and the resurrection uh, over the next few weeks. But the last, the last couple weeks in our, in our teaching, we've looked at these questions. Why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? We, we like, like, we like the, we just like the religious folks in Jesus' day, we tend to focus on the wrong things. Like we, we tend to look at the wrong things when it comes to, to our, our, the practice of our faith. We get tied up in the practice while missing the heart. And we discussed that a few weeks ago. And last week, we looked at this question. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? What if you get everything that this life has to offer, but it costs you your soul? And we spent time on that question last week. And today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 20. If you want to turn there, it's always on the screen for you. But if you want to look there in your Bible, Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus asks this question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? He being Jesus asked. 
What do you want me to do? Well, he's going to ask it a couple different times in a couple different ways in this section. So if you've got your Bible and you want to turn to Matthew 20, we're going to start in verse 20 and read a few verses and look at a little, little passage here and then move down to where that question appears. But in Matthew chapter 20, um, Jesus is, we're, we're getting very, very close to, um, to Jesus' entry into Jerusalem and, and what we call the Passion Week, that last week of, of his ministry before the crucifixion. And it just says this. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's an awkward way of saying, there are two, two of Jesus' followers, James and John. This is, his, this is their mother. The mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, okay? Now, we read a lot into this. I don't know if she's got them by the ear, by the elbow. I don't know. But, but the, the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked him, asked Jesus for a favor, okay? They asked him for a favor. There's a lot in this, right? She has a question for them. She kneels, which is which is the posture that someone takes before a king, right? She assumed a certain posture in front of Jesus, okay? You are the king, and I'm going to ask something for, from you. I have a request. And, and here in verse 21 of chapter 20, Jesus says to her, he says, what is it that you want? It's really similar to our key question for today. He says, he, Jesus says, what is it that you want, he asked. What is it that you want? And she said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other... Uh, at your left in your kingdom. So she has knelt before him. You're the king, and I'm asking this of you. Okay, I'm asking this of you. Like the word grant, it actually means like, like say it. Will you say this? Will you say these words? Will you say that in your kingdom, this son is going to be 1A, and this son is going to be 1B? You're right in your left hand. Okay? When you come into your kingdom, when you're fully in charge, Will you make it so? Right? That, and this is, this, is her, this is what she wants. This is her desire. It's, it's, it's a mother's a vision for her two children, her two sons. Right? She's, she's looking at the situation. She's seeing where things are headed, though not fully. But she thinks she's seeing where things are headed. And she says, hey, when you get there, when you get to your throne, my guys, listen, this is reasonable. My guys have been faithful to you. They've been with you through thick and thin. They left their previous life to come follow you. They've been with you in, in the, the thick of the battle, right? In your most intimate moments, they've been there. Don't they deserve this? Isn't this what they've earned? Will you say it? Will you grant it to them? Will you make it so? And so we might say, based on the circumstances, it's a reasonable request, Okay? Not sure why the mother is making it for them. That's an awkward thing, honestly, even culturally, to, hap to happen. But she's, she's asking. And Jesus responds in verse 22. He says, you don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. The mother asked the question, and he said it to all, all three of them. You don't even know what you're asking. And he says, can you drink the cup I am going to drink? It's a way of saying, like, I'm about to, I'm about to, something's about to be ingested in me. Like, I'm about to take on something. Are you sure? Are you sure that this is what you want? Okay. So this mother comes to Jesus with her request. She has a desire. The desire is for her sons to be seated with Jesus in power. And we're going to jump down in a minute, but to fill in the gap, it goes on to, to, as it goes on, we find out that James and John were there. They say they can drink from this cup. They say, yes, Jesus, I can. And we know historically, ultimately, they would. They would take on the suffering of Jesus. But in the in-between, they were going to desert him like everyone else. 
Okay? We also find out in the, in the next few verses that the other disciples didn't like this request. Go figure. Right? The assumption being that they kind of wanted to be there too. Hey, I, I did everything James and John did. Right? And so Jesus talks to them and he tells them that, that, that the true power that, that, that he's bringing is, where the, the, is, in, is found in the least. It's found in the sacrifice and making yourself a servant. Right? He tries to correct their vision. Right? They had a vision of what was going to happen when he established his kingdom. He'd have a throne, he'd have armies, he'd have strength, he'd have glory, he'd have riches. Everyone was going to recognize it. That was their vision. And he corrects it. He flips a lens and goes, nope, that's not it. Right? Lens one or lens two? Which one's better? One or two? That's what he does to them. And now down in, in verse 29, okay? Skip down a few verses. We come to the account that we're going to zero in on a little closer, but it, it, makes, it, it helps to have the first one in view. In verse 29, it says this. Nope. Something's happening, guys. Okay, there it is. Verse 29 says, As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Okay? As with so many things in Scripture... <clears throat> As with so many things in Scripture, there's a ton that's loaded into that one line, that, 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 that one sentence. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Jericho was a city that was, um, it was about a day's walk from Jerusalem, about a 10-hour walk, okay? Um, and uh, and you, you would go, like, up in elevation, and, and Jerusalem was up on the hill, and Jericho was down by the Dead Sea. Um, and, 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 but Jericho was sort of like, it was a town of just, like, the people, Okay? It's where the people live. Jerusalem signified like where the, where the, the seat of power when it came to the Jews and, and particularly when it came to their religious practice. And so Jesus and his disciples are leaving Jericho. They're leaving this place with all kind of like just the people of the land, everyday folks, okay? And, and they're going from Jericho. They're gonna be headed to Jerusalem and it says a large crowd followed them. Essentially, we're, we ought to read into this that G, there was a movement afoot. Okay? There was a movement afoot. There was a movement afoot amongst the, the, the people of the land. They had, a, they had a teacher, a powerful speaker, someone who was, who was, who was casting a vision, someone who was, who was healing people, someone who was, who was meeting their needs, and they're going to follow him. They're going to follow him from Jericho as far as he goes, and he's pointed towards Jerusalem. Okay? So he's, there's this crowd with him. And then in verse 30, it says, Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. So this crowd is going by. Now those words, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us, okay, are actually Greek words. Does anyone recognize this in your head? Joe? <laughs> Does anyone recognize this? These are Greek words. Okay, that are Kyrie and Eliason. Kyrie, Eliason. It means, okay, Lord, have mercy on us. That was Mr. Mister, by the way, which I expect to hear coming out of all your cars when we leave church today. Okay? But if, to find it, it's MR period Mr., not Mr. M I S D R, Mr. Okay. But, but, but they, they sang the song, Kyrie, no one knew what meant. Like, Kyrie, we're just singing along with it in 1986 or whenever, right? But it actually, the song, it means, Lord, have mercy on us, okay? And so the crowd's going by, okay? The crowd's going by, and there's these two blind men at the side of the road, on the side of the road, and they say, Kyrie, Lord, 
That is, it's a powerful word, by the way, because it is the word that Caesar had established for himself. It was known throughout the empire. It was the one sovereign ruler, okay? And these blind men see Jesus, and they say, Kyrie, Lord. And then they add to it, Son of David, which we've seen in a passage in this series from another blind man, okay? Son of David. This, is, this one is entangled in, in, in the Jewish promise of the Messiah, the son of David was, was the one who was going to come and going to establish the rule of God in Jerusalem. So here's Jesus with his disciples and a crowd in tow. And these blind men say, you are Lord. We recognize you, not Caesar. And you are son of David. You are the promised Messiah, the one who's coming in the line of David to make it all right. There was a movement afoot. And these blind men recognized it. And they add something to it. They say, have mercy on us. Eliason in Greek. Have mercy on us. Okay? Lord, have mercy. But in verse 31, it says this, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. They say it again, Kyrie, Eliason, son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. The crowd is with him. They're headed to Jerusalem. But Jesus stopped, and he called them, and he said, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. He's got the crowd in tow. They're headed where he knows he's got to go. The crowd may not fully understand what's about to happen when they get to Jerusalem, but Jesus did. It was the fulfillment of his work to go to the cross, to sacrifice himself, and while, again, he, he knows from, from context and he knows from being this, the, the omniscient son of God what their intentions are, he's, he knows he's still going to Jerusalem and he's going to fulfill his purpose, his mission. But along the way, these blind men call out and the crowd tries to silence them, but Jesus stops. He hears them. He stops and he asks, what do you want me to do for you? The word want there is the word desire. What is your desire from me? What do you desire? Okay. What do you want? And they answer this, verse 33. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. We want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Immediately they received their sight sight, followed him. He has compassion on them in their condition. He has a job to do. It's a really important job. I would say that no one ever anywhere has had a more important job than what Jesus was doing with the next week to die for the sins of mankind, to suffer the pain and agony not just physically, but of separation from his father. And then to go through it to carry our sin, to be risen from the grave. But he had to go through it. It's, it's the purpose. It's a mission. But he stopped. And it says he stopped because he had compassion. That word compassion comes from the word of like in, in, our, in your bowels. Like he felt something in his gut. Right? 
He saw them and he felt it. And he acted upon it. So our question today is, the same question Jesus asked them, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And just like the eye doctor alternating between, between the two lenses, lens one and lens two, okay, this one, first one or second one, which one's better? First one or second one? We're going we're gonna to do the same thing here with a couple of lenses from the scripture, okay? With a couple of lenses from the scripture. We're going to look at a couple, a couple things. The first thing is this, okay? The first contrast we want to look at, lens one or lens two, lens one or lens two, is, the, is, is, is pretty straightforward. It's the request of the mother, right? It's the request she has a lens through which she's viewing Jesus. And thus, kind of all of life at that point in time for her and her sons. She has a lens, and she makes a request. She has a vision, she operates out of that vision. Just like I did for 30 years, operating out of a certain vision, but it wasn't correct. Okay, I didn't see clearly until the lenses were put in front of my eyes that allowed me to do so. And her lens was this in verse 21. We saw it. What is it that you want? He says, what's your desire? And she says, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. She's kind of close, by the way. Her vision isn't totally off. Like she probably, like I did for 14 years up to getting glasses, could pass her driver's vision test. Okay? She could aim the car in the right direction and keep it between the lanes. Okay? Because the truth is, Jesus is the king. She got that right. I, she recognized this one is the king. Okay? He's the king. And the second thing I think that, that she really got right is that if he's the king, we, you, you want to be as close to him as you possibly can. Right? That's, that is, in, in many ways, that's what it means to follow Jesus. Recognize his kingship and get as close to him as you can. That's a pretty good summation. But there was something else driving it, right? Like it was close but it wasn't quite right. It was on the road headed the right direction, but it was kind of swerving out of control. You see, because her question carries the, this, this ambitious drive behind it. It's asking about position and power. And that's how it's framed here. Not just that they're with you in your kingdom, but no, they need to be at the top. Right? Because, because she understood his kingdom to be some kind of kingdom of merit. Those who've given up the most get the most. Those who work the hardest get the closest spot. They get promoted up the ranks. And my boys have done the most. They deserve this. They should be promoted to 1A and 1B. Right and left. Right? That's her lens. It is the lens of the world. It's the lens through which we view our lives. If, if nothing intervenes, it's the way we see things. I've done certain things, I deserve the outcome. I'm deserving of, of what, what is mine. No one should take it from me. Clear boundaries. But this is in contrast to the request of the blind men, right? Jesus asked each of them the same question, essentially. What do you want and what do you want from me? He asked essentially the same question, and they said this, Lord, they answered, we want our sight. We want to see you. We want to see you. These men whose eyes didn't work, they still managed to see what their greatest need was. 
And maybe it's because their eyes didn't work that they understood they needed to see Jesus clearly and fully. I, I need to see who he is. I need to see what he's doing. I need to go where he goes. Not Im- impose my own system on him. Not try to use him to get something for myself, but just to see him. Just see him. I just want to see Jesus. Right? Which lens is better? The lens of the mother? The lens of the blind man? One or two? One or two? There's another contrast. There's another contrast. The second contrast is this. The second contrast is the response of the crowd. Is the first lens that we're going to look at in this one. The response of the crowd so as the crowd moves with Jesus, they're, they're caught up in the moment. They believe they were on their way to fulfill a huge political movement. Okay? They were marching on the Capitol. They were going to set things right. They had a king and nothing was going to stop them. Especially not these two blind men on the side of the road. And so the crowd rebuked the blind men. They rebuked him. And actually, the language here is actually sort of like saying, just shut up. Shut up. You belong on the side of the road. Shut up. We're, we're going here. We're doing something important. Be quiet. They rebuked them and told them to be quiet. And that's the first lens in this second contrast. Which one's better? This one? That one? Or this second one, the way the response of Jesus to the blind men, right? The first response of the blind men was, get out of the way. Get out of the way. We're doing something big here. Jesus' response is this. They, the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted. These men shouted all the louder. They weren't going to let. They weren't going to let the crowd pushing them to the side shut them up. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped. You recognize this is a powerful moment, right? This is a powerful moment. He stopped. What does it take to get us to stop? When we believe we're on the right path, when we believe we've got a job to do, we believe we've got a mission, what does it take to get us to stop? He stops. And he called them. He speaks to them. And he makes the offer to them. What do you want me to do for you? There's more than that. That When they answer, we want our sight. Look at what Jesus, he stopped. He called to them. He spoke to them. And in his compassion, he touched them. Touched them. It's safe to assume that they were filthy and dirty living on the side of the road. It's safe to assume as we... We looked at in the past, when we looked at blindness in the first century in the ancient world, these were people that it was assumed that their condition was because of either their own choices or the choices of their sinful parents. That their blindness wasn't, was, was in some way the consequence of a dirty life. And Jesus stops, and in the compassion of his gut, he reaches over there and he touches them. In the midst of the march, in the midst of the, 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 the charge to Jerusalem from Jericho, he stops and he touches them. 
And that's lens number two, right? Lens number one, be quiet. Get in your place. Lens number two, compassion. Stop. See them. Touch them. Lens number one says that that the important stuff doesn't take time for people like these blind men. The important things going on don't have room enough for those who have some issue like these men had their blindness. The really important things just need that stuff to get out of the way. That's lens one. Lens two says that nothing is so important as compassion for those around me. That's Jesus' lens. Nothing is as important as compassion for those around me. Lens one, lens two. Which one's better? Which one's better? You see, especially like those who were blind, Jesus had compassion. These people were overlooked and rejected, marginalized, disadvantaged, oppressed. Pick your word. That's what they were. That's what they were. They were over, they, no one had time for them. They're struggling just to get by. And Jesus stops and asks, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Do we want our vision made right? He asks us today, do we want to see clearly? Or do we want Jesus to be an end to a means? Do we want Jesus to to lead us on a charge to do something that we believe to be important? Or do we want to, to just see him for who he is? Because you see, Jesus is the movement. The movement, this is what the people didn't understand, the crowd that was following him, that, that some days later would be part of the crowd chanting, crucify him. They missed the fact that he wasn't there to establish something else. He was the movement. It was him. He was the answer. Not, not undoing their, the negatives of their, their current like, circumstances, their, the oppression of the, 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 the Roman government over them. Or the way that the class system of, of, of the Jewish people had made them second-hand, second-class citizens. That's not, that wasn't, the movement will accomplish those things, but Jesus is the movement. He's not there to do something else. He is the thing being done. See him. Be near him. Close to him. Not for my own ends. Not for my own gain. But because He's the one. And when it comes to this question, he had stopped to ask them this. So I want to just put it this way, okay? To wrap up. When Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? I think there's a couple options, a couple lenses from which we answer that question. And the first lens is the lens of competition. It's the lens of competition. It's so, like, I want to be close to Jesus because Jesus is going to help me, like, advance in some way. He's going to do something for me that that makes my life better. It enhances me. By getting close to him, I somehow get, like, his power moved in to my life and my circumstances. I get more attention, I get an advantage, an enhanced position like this mother was asking. 
And if I'm getting it, then someone else isn't, right? It's mine. I deserve. So if I get it, someone else doesn't. So get close to power, like the mother says, right? Grant them that they can be at your right and your left. Get close to power. There can only be, there can only be two people, one on the right, one on the left. Let's get there, okay? Or maybe it's, don't let anything get in the way. What do I want Jesus to do for me? Well, competition. I don't want anything to get in the way. Jesus, do this. Clear the path. Clear the path for me so that the ends that I'm pursuing, the things that I think are important, that, that all of my enemies get pushed to the side or anyone who's going to slow us down or hold us back, that they get pushed to the side. And so we don't have time for those on the margin, on the side of the road. We don't have time for them. Because I'm committed to this. I'm committed to this competition. We have a throne to take. We have, we have a cause to champion. We have an institution to build. And so, so let's, let's take Jesus with us to go do that. Right? But that's the lens that says Jesus is there to help me win the competition. That's lens one. Which one's better, lens one or lens two? The second lens is this lens of compassion. The lens that Jesus was seeing the situation through. The lens of compassion. There's an alternative to the lens of competition. It is what Jesus like, ex experienced there in that moment. We don't have to see the world through the lens of competition. We see it. We can see it through the lens of compassion like Jesus. He had compassion on them. It doesn't mean, seeing the world through the lens of compassion doesn't mean we fail to recognize that there is a struggle. There is struggle in this world and in this life, absolutely. There were haves and have-nots in the first century just like there's haves and have-nots today. There, were, there, were, there, were, there was power and there was powerless in the first century just like there was power, there's power and powerless today. The question is, when we, when we step into the struggle, when we see it, which lens do we view it through? That what Jesus is here to do is to make sure that the have-nots become the haves. Is that what Jesus wants? To make it seem so that, so that eventually like the oppressed become like the oppressors, that they get the power? Is that what Jesus is here to do? No, he's, he's here to seek and save the lost. He's here to give sight to the blind. So they see reality for what it is. Not just the rules of this world, but the, but the law of his kingdom. To love him and to love our neighbor. Compassion. The lens of compassion. I'm going to call the, the worship team up for one more, or maybe to worship again. How about that? You see, because we, there is such a thing, like people are oppressed and disadvantaged. They're marginalized, rejected, overlooked. There's a struggle in the world, but don't, don't be deceived into believing otherwise. But the lens to see the struggle is, a, is to see the struggle through the lens of compassion and not competition. This is not, how do I get what's mine and hold on to it? This is the lens that says, who around me is, is struggling. Who around me 
is disadvantaged, is marginalized, is rejected. And can I have the same compassion that Jesus had? It's compassion like Jesus had that we, that we have to have in order to see through his lens. To see through his lens. And it's that sight that leads to compassion. Seeing as Jesus sees leads to compassion. So who is it? Who are the blind people at the side of our roads? Who are those that, that, that we're part of the crowd passing by? Calling out that we tend to stiff arm, to push aside, to ignore. Who is it? Is it literally someone on the side of the road for you? Is it someone in your workplace, in your school, young person? The person eating by themselves? The neighbor who seems to be struggling with all aspects of life? Is it someone in your small group? Someone that you just constantly, you know, they're just, they're always making so much noise and that noise is getting in the way of what I think we really ought to be doing. Who is it? And can we see them through the lens of compassion as Jesus did? Let's pray together. God, We just know we don't see one another the way that you do. And I, I confess that I'm, I'm just bent towards trying to get what I think is mine. And so we confess that, um, that the way of this world has taught us to see things a certain way, and we ask that... Um, that you would correct our vision, that you would, you would help us to, to see with your eyes, to feel with your, the, the, your compassion that, that leads to, to the action, to, to the stopping and the touching, the being present with. God, you're, um, you're good to us, and you've done it out of just your love for us, not because we've earned it, not because of our merit, but because you love us. Help us to see your love and to, to, to share it with those around us. Help us to, to, to care about the concerns of the, the blind, whoever, whatever form blindness may take for us. So God, we just, we thank you. We thank you for your word and Jesus we thank you for the work of the cross um, so that we can we can see this at all in spirit for, for opening our eyes for shining light into our our world and into the truth and we pray all of this in your name Jesus amen God we just lift that prayer up to you God would you fill us with your spirit as we go out today throughout our week, would you give us the compassion to see as your eyes see? God, help us to choose you. Thank you all for joining us this Sunday. Uh, just a quick reminder of the Intro to Groups meeting. 
uh, just walk out, um, go ahead to the welcome desk and see Monica. Um, thank you. Have a great Sunday.